Pastor John Piper said, According to the spirit of this age, the ultimate sin is no longer the failure to honor and thank God, but the failure to esteem oneself. Self-abasement, not God-abasement, is the evil. And the cry of deliverance is not, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? But, O worthy man that I am, would that I could only see it better. Boy, that just hits the nail on the head. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my dressed up and lovely looking wife. And uh, we're so thankful that you're here with us today. And if this is your first time here, um, don't let the name fool you. We're very religious. But the world we live in is not very secular, very religionless. And our hope here is just to, you know, help everyone understand the news better, um, the world better from a Christian point of view, help us navigate this wicked world that we find ourselves in and um, stay focused on Christ through it all. So thank you for being here. We will be discussing the news of the week, of course, and I think we got some good news to discuss. And by uh, good news, of course, we mean awful news, but things that need to be discussed. But we do have a good news story, which is not always the case, so that's promising. And for our Bible topic of the week, we are going to be starting our sort of 10-part look, if you will, at the assurances of salvation. So we just, um, two weeks ago I so, or so now, finished our five-part look at the road to salvation. You know, how do you get saved? And then, like I said, we're going to start looking at, well, how do you know that you're saved? What are those assurances that we look to? So it's a 10-part for assurance, five-part for salvation. Yeah, yep. Um, and, you know, when you go through the assurances of salvation, you know, And as we go through these, there's going to be some that are fairly similar. (laughs) You know, they're not going to be wildly Mm. different um, things to look at. But if scripture speaks on something and tells you to look out for something, we we ought to address Mm. it, even if it may sound redundant to us. A lot of times the redundancies in scripture are redundant for a reason. They Mm -hmm. really want you to understand what they're trying to say. So there's no confusion. It It means what it means. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I have no problem, you know talking about a point that sounds somewhat similar to another point because, you know, they wrote it that way for a reason. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do. But before we get to all of that, is there anything, honey, that you would like to say? No, just pray that no big sickness is coming here. Kobe tested positive for strep. Now today, Jacob says his throats are in. And I just, that's the worst thing to me is getting strep throat like I would rather have the flu for a week than a day of strep because it's just so painful it just hurts you can't sleep with strep throat it's hard yeah so just and then you can't talk like you gotta talk I don't want to get it because then I can't yell at the dog yell at the kids (laughs) yeah just, just yeah just pray that um we wouldn't all get strep throat or any sickness, really. We don't get sick often. No. It's very rare. Like, nobody's had strep throat at least, I want to say, like, five years. Or even, like, a serious sore throat, I mean. 
So this is a first time of like a real sickness in a while. And I know I've said that like, oh, we're never sick. Knock on wood. But it's like, oh, here it comes. Yeah. So just pray for us. Pray that our boys feel better. Um, Pray for me. I was ego lifting, hurt my back again. Nothing terrible, but. I was thinking on that this morning, like when you went in and I was like, I wonder if the guys early in the morning are all like feeling like showing off for their, their test. (laughs) Or if you guys are just too tired and you don't care. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it's not a test. It's just, you know, they want people to work out because we pay for a, a professional trainer and they don't want him to just be sitting on his hands all day. So we go down and work out. And, um, I mean, I don't show off for people. I just live like a maniac because that's who I am. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so pray for my back. Nothing terrible, nothing uncommon, but um, it is unpleasant when I do this. So never seem to learn that lesson. Mm. That's all right. Maybe it's... Uh, I'll just claim it's my Apostle Paul, you know, Stop. thorn in the side and God's grace is sufficient for me. That's what I'll tell myself anyway. So, um, and then also just the last few points here. Uh, well, we'll get our plugs out of the way and then roll into this. So um, let's go. Well, let's just get our plugs out of the way here. And then I'll get into my last few points. So first one here, Cardinal Contingency Solutions. You guys know we love Cardinal. And they were just down at the International Association of Chiefs of Police down in Dallas over the last weekend, I think. And uh, I heard some stories about how it went and it sounded pretty good. So, you know, you're talking about Chiefs of Police, um, FBI, CIA. All these people were down there. Um, They had a booth down there and they were just um, kind of showing off, you know, their counter messaging and exploitation type of tactics. And the way they were doing it was genius. They had these beautiful, you know, Yeti mugs or whatever. And when the people would come up and say, hey, can I get a mug? And they're like, no, but you can win one. And they would make them sit down in the chair and see if they could go two minutes without getting exploited. (laughs) And these were 30 year chiefs of police. They even had the attorney general of the state of Florida sit in their chair. And all of them within about 30 seconds got exploited. And um, so it turned out to be, you know, a great time for the fellas at Cardinal. And just hearing some of the stories about, you know, because and this is why I try to pitch Cardinal to you guys. And granted, we're talking to a mostly religious audience, a Christian audience, but, you know, the world that we're walking into with, you know, the DIE coming for churches and the racism coming for everybody, right? It's so important to be Mm -hmm. prepared because, and this is what Cardinal teaches, is that the exploiter, they don't really care what you say. You know, you don't win the argument. There is no winning in the sense of, well, I told them something, now we see eye to eye, and we're on the same page. No, whatever you say, if it's not very well crafted, is going to be exploited. That's why you have to have this mindset going into these. So that when somebody shows up, you know, with the cell phone in your face and says, Hey, so what do you think about, you know, your pastor being a racist? And you're like, uh, you know, or do you think it's okay for your pastor to be a racist? And you're like, No, of course not. Oh, so he is a racist. And like, oh my goodness, here we go. So 
you got to have the skills. That's what uh, Cardinal teaches. They prove that it's effective. I mean, these are some of the most highly trained men and women in the country, and they couldn't last 30 seconds without getting exploited. So um, what hope do the rest of us have? So give Cardinal mm-hmm. a call, send him an email. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And also, you guys know we're proud members of the Christian podcast community. And you can go through here, 50 to 60 different Christian podcasts from all different uh, types of shows, different topics. And they're even kind enough to let us be on there. And we're thankful for that. And the great thing is, you go there, subscribe to the feed. You get all 60 podcasts under one feed, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find them. And I think you would enjoy it because they're not just all the big names that you've heard and that, you know, Spotify tries to shove in your face. They're godly men and women that have good things to talk about. Mm -hmm. So go give them a look. All right. So the last few points here that I wanted to talk about before we roll into the news. So you'll see up on the screen if you're watching, and if not, you can go down into the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. We have our new shirts up on the website now, and we kind of have like a reformer series, just kind of what we're calling them. Again, just simple t-shirts like the one I'm wearing here, the Genesis 127. Nothing gaudy or outlandish, just simple shirts. You know, the reformer series, so you got Martin Luther, John Kelvin, John Knox, and Jan Huss. Um, Just simple shirts, you know, simple quote, simple picture. And then we also have um, sort of a reclaiming the rainbow, right? Perfect for today's um, LGBTQ in your face shirt. And not feel like you're um, on the wrong side. Right. It was God's in the first place. um, Mm -hmm. So we're not taking anything back. It's always been his. So there was a lady (laughs) in my Bible study on Tuesday. I forgot to tell you this. She like... Um, she was telling us how she was with her daughter. Uh, she's older daughter. I don't know. She's, I don't know, maybe you're in high school or something, but, and the mom wanted to get this shirt and had a rainbow on it. And I don't know, like a girly shirt. And she was just going to wear it to the gym. And her daughter's like, mom, you can't wear that shirt at the gym. And she's like, why not? She's like, I like rainbows and cupcakes. Like all the girls, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there was cupcakes on it, but she, I don't know if she got it, but she was like, her daughter's like, you can't wear that. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I used to love rainbows too and all that stuff. And now you no, wear from a rainbow. A mile away, and... people are like, oh, here it comes. But you can wear our rainbow. <laughs> We're reclaiming it, right? So you can go check those shirts out. Um, you know, the rainbow Genesis 913 on there. You can go pick up a shirt. Um, it'll help support the show which we would certainly appreciate if buying shirts and stuff like that just isn't something you want to do. There's links in the show notes for other ways that you can help support us, whether that's through an affiliate link or as you can see, if you're on this, uh, on the YouTube or rumble, you know, buy me a coffee, Christian books. Uh, I think we even have our link up now for best buy. So if you just want to buy some electronics, we'll get a small commission at no cost to you. And it just helps us, you know, keep the show running, buy new equipment if we need it, help promote the show, all that sorts of uh, sort of stuff. So we would appreciate that. Um, and then the last thing here, I've been holding off on this, waiting to get close enough to the holidays where I could bring it up. But, you know, as the holidays are approaching, Nikki and I have really had the idea that we want to bless somebody or hopefully multiple people 
with some holiday gifts. So, you know, our thoughts going back a few months as soon as this show got a little bit monetized. So if you're listening on the podcast, you know that we have a couple of ads that run before the show. We're monetized very, very lightly. Um, <laughs> we're not going to make a lot of money from it. But we just figured, you know, for this first year, whatever we do make, whatever the Lord blesses us with, we're just going to give it all away, hopefully, um, if we can get some people that are uh, that take us up on the offer. So we're hoping to hear from you guys. If there's anybody in your life that you know, you know, could be blessed by some extra, you know, gifts, but also maybe somebody that either isn't as close to the Lord as they once were, or they don't know the Lord, you know, maybe an opportunity to um, you know, share the gospel a little bit through some, you know, tracks, some reading, but then also bless them with maybe some gift cards. I mean, that's kind of what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to get it out there with enough time that maybe you guys can get us some names um, so that we can send it to them before the holidays. You know, that would be our hope. So our email will be down in the show notes. Um, we have social media, we have our discords, all those sorts of things. Please just Get a hold of us if you know somebody in your life that you think would be blessed by this and let us know because that's what we want to do is um, bless them with what the Lord has blessed us with. So do you have anything on those two thoughts? Nope. All righty then. You guys know what time it is. I tried to let Nikki do this last week and she don't, blew it. So no, it's all on me. me now. It's your thing, babe. It is. Don't so. pretend like you don't love it. <laughs> I do. Prepare yourself, gird up your loins, steal your soul. It's time that we take our week, weekly trip through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week. Oh, so do you want to... Um, yeah, well, Nick, you'll read the first headline. But like I mentioned earlier, we do actually have some good news this week. It's not always the case. So we're going to get the show started with some good news and, um, you know, just kind of show everybody that there's still hope in the world. God Mm -hmm. still sits on his throne. There is still hope. So do you want to read that headline? Study. Gen Z wants to know more about Jesus. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, just read these two paragraphs. The evangelical polling firm has released the first part of a three-part study on teenagers from 26 countries around the world, looking at their views on Jesus, the Bible, and justice. It's the largest survey Barna has done in its 38-year history, working with seven partner organizations to survey nearly 25,000 representatives from Gen Z who are between the ages of 13 and 17. Barna found that in the United States, 65% of teenagers identify as Christians, a notably high number when compared to declining rates of religious identity. Globally, 52% of teens identify as Christians. Beyond that, the majority of teens surveyed have positive things to say about Jesus, and roughly 6 out of 10 say they are motivated to know more about him. Yeah. That is hopeful. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, I would say the natural inclination, right, when you hear this is cynicism. You know, that's kind of what I thought originally when I, you know, read this. So maybe that's, you know, you're not unjustified if that's the thought that you have. 
But, you know, we do serve a God that's worth knowing. Um, and we here believe, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, mostly you would agree that a relationship with Jesus Christ is really the only thing that matters at the end of the day. You know, so for me, and I think for Nikki, it's encouraging. But with that encouragement, with this news that we have an entire generation of kids and young adults that are eager to know more about Jesus, that places a burden on us. Um, Mm -hmm. It's encouraging, but it comes with a burden, you know, because if they're open to hearing about Christ, then we're obligated to tell them. Mm-hmm. And Paul in Romans chapter 10, um, do you want to read Romans 10, 14 through 15? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I think that's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we have a burden. They need to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we need people to go and tell them. Um, this is certainly a burden that me and Nikki have felt, you know, and it's something that we're trying to be more active in. Um, obviously, with this show, we're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, help steer people down that narrow road as best we understand it. Um, You guys know I've been involved in the jail ministry, so we're trying to be more active in this, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure that these young kids know that there's a better way than this, you know, bankrupt, shallow, hollow, secular, materialist world that we find ourselves in. Because the youth today, and really everybody senses it, um, the problem is they just don't know of another alternative you know, because they don't hear about another alternative. So we have to be that alternative, you know, because the godless media, the perverse school teachers, the satanic politicians, we highlight it every week here. Um, They're doing everything they can, working tirelessly, it seems, to ensure that these youth never uh, never come to an understanding Mm -hmm. of that joy, you know, of a personal relationship with their creator. Um, So we also have to work diligently and tirelessly to ensure that they don't succeed in that. I know, thinking how you do the jail ministry, I'm like, I mean, at least in Florida, we can probably get into the schools and do like a after school Bible study or or something, whatever you want to call it. Because I remember when the kids were in in elementary school, they stayed after and did the Good News Club. But I remember the lady there telling me, she's like, well, it's public school. Um, any group could get on and start a club, like an antichrist group. Yeah, wouldn't sure be allowed to be banned because you got to be, you got to be fair. So I don't know. I was just like, that's just something I was pondering. Like it's something we should, we should start. All do. I don't know. Just start doing that. And if if any of you guys do a group like that in a school. Um, because kids don't know where to go. I mean, they can go to churches, but we know a lot of the churches are very liberal. Um, so these kids want to learn more about Jesus. But what kind of church are they going to? Are they really learning more about Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture or watered-down version of Jesus and the gospel? So I think it is important that these kids are learning. And if we bring it to the schools or guide them in, I don't know, like what church to go to, because it's not enough to just 
say I go to church because so many of the pastors are scared to preach the truth and they want to be all about equality and not offending people. You know, the gospel offends. Um, no, for sure. And, you so, know, that verse we just read, Romans ten fifteen doesn't say how beautiful are the feet of the most well-equipped and well-prepared that go and preach. It just says yeah. the feet of those who go. Um, yeah. So, so if any of you guys are, are doing that already, or if you know how to start. Um, and experience is the best teacher. Yeah. You know, you can read all the books and watch all the YouTube videos, you know, but until you actually get out there and, I mean, that's what I find at the jail ministry. You can have the best sermon prepared, you know, and that's how I do. I'm a very, I'm a manuscript type of preacher. I write it out. It's very thought out. And then you go there and you step up and you go, all right, guys, let's open our Bible. And they go, was Adam made by witchcraft? And you're like, oh, here we go. Uh, notes go out the window and you're off in a different, so you don't know that until you go, right? Do you so, pray ahead of time that? I mean, I love it. That's because that's what they, that's what they're hearing, right? So you're going to go to a school with elementary kids and they're going to ask you about, you know, praying the rosary and the queen of heaven and, you know, all these things. And you're going to go, well, I wasn't prepared to talk about that, but that's what we're talking about. Right. Um, Hmm. So I think it's important and they need to hear the alternative message, which is the real message. Right. Um, So for the rest of this episode, we're just going to try to highlight just from this last week, really, what these youth are up against, you know, and hopefully as best we can, how do we deal with it? So um, do you want to read this headline, honey? Biden interviewed by Days of Girlhood, trans activist Dylan Mulvaney in Oval Office. President pledges support for gender-affirming care for children. Yep. And then um, just this first paragraph. Okay. President Joe Biden welcomed six progressive activists to the White House for the Now This News presidential forum. The woke news website forum featured Democrat-friendly topics such as gun legislation, abortion access, the climate crisis, criminal legal reform, economic instability, and trans rights. Yeah. And, you know, we talked last week, I think it was, or maybe the week before, um, at least in my opinion, you know, this baby boomer generation is maybe the most wicked generation that's ever lived in American history. Um, I think they've done more to destroy this once God-fearing nation um, than any generation before them. And here again, (laughs) you know, we see it's like with their dying breath, you know, they'll be grasping at our ankles in an attempt to drag us down to hell with them, you know, as they go off to pay their eternal debt owed to their father, it seems. And then notice in (laughs) what they say, it says, the Democrat-friendly topics... But what are those friendly topics? Pure destruction. (laughs) That's the Democrat friendly topics that they want to talk about. So just madness, absolute madness. But you can go on, honey, if you want to read these next couple of lines. Okay. One of the interviewers was trans activist Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney, a biological male, begins the interview by saying, 
Mr. President, this is my 221st day of publicly transitioning. Biden, a self-proclaimed Catholic, responded, God love you. Yeah, and I think they said it right there perfectly. <laughs> self-proclaimed uh, Catholic. Yeah. Because yeah. if Joe Biden's a Catholic, then I don't want to hear any Catholic claim to be Christian. I don't want to hear you claim that you're Christian, right? And the fact that these, you know, these pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ, pro-trans, pro-child genital mutilation politicians, you know, these ones that claim a faith, the fact that they haven't been denounced, I think it does more damage to Christianity than we even think it does. Why do they even claim a faith? Why? Like, what is because the idea? Because it helps them with voters. President Biden, I think he won 55 or so percent of the Catholic vote. Why? Well, he said he's a Catholic. Well, what evidence do we have? None. But he said it. Good enough for me, right? And that's why they do it. it in my opinion, I don't know the man's soul, but you judge a tree by the fruit, right? And I think we get in this position, like we just talked about, 52% or 55%, whatever it was, vote for Biden because he says he's a, you know, he's a Catholic. And now we're like, yeah, my president's a Catholic, just like me. And we wind up propping up these goats and we call them sheep. And I think it just leads people astray. I don't think it's good for the faith. Look for the fruit. And that's more important than you can't just go by words. No, I mean... Words are meaningless if the, you know, the actions and the fruit don't back it up. And, uh, and, but it's not just Catholics, right, that do this. Although it's worth noting, <laughs> the Catholics don't just have Joe Biden in their midst. They've got Nancy Pelosi as well. Um, and I think when you have those two in your ranks, you probably take the cake as far as goats calling themselves <laughs> sheep. But, you know, we do have the Ralph Warnocks that we've talked about on here before, who we would call, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, Hillary Clinton, I think, even claims that she has a faith of some sort. Um, but as for us here on Religionless Christianity, we will make sure that we're clear on it. Um, for all those who listen, uh, we will say of these people, again, we don't know their souls, but just judging them by the fruit we would say they're not Christians. Um, so don't hold them in any sort of moral high standing or don't yeah. look to them in any sort of religious capacity. Um, but then again, with that, we would say Donald Trump isn't as well, because I know that's always the, you know, the follow up. Yeah. Well, what about Trump? Well, he's not a Christian either, in my opinion. So, um, but the article goes on. Let's read this last um, paragraph here. If I can find it. Just passed it. No. No, right here. Oh. Uh, says Mulvaney responded, and it feels like Republicans have turned trans and non-binary people into this thing to blame society's downfall on um, in some ways. And this narrative is not only dangerous to our mental health, but also our physical safety. And particularly trans women of color are being murdered at an alarming rate. Yep, they said it, so it's true. Um, an alarming rate. Hmm. So first off, I would say they are to blame in a large way. You know, she says it seems like uh, they're being blamed for society's downfall, and I would say they are to blame in a large way. 
you know, because they're working tirelessly, it seems, to pervert our children and infect them with this social contagion, as we've talked about many times, or just straight out sinful lifestyle, um, this LGBTQ lifestyle. So they are to blame. And secondly, as far as her saying it's dangerous to their mental health, everything is dangerous to the mental health of those who are mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should not promote lies and make-believe narratives just for the sake of the mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in a society today that <laughs> we don't recognize reality. We live in a world that, you know, reality is hate speech, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're told that that somehow helps these people with their mental health. If we live in la-la land, well, then they feel better about themselves. You know, when you start talking about reality, that really puts them on edge, right? So, you know, that's, again, something we can't dictate all of society and say, well, reality doesn't matter anymore because it makes people feel bad. You know, um, it's just you can't sustain a society that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we need to say no, right? We need to be people that live in reality and we should be seeking to get them the help that they need in a real and authentic way. And it's crazy. Just like medically, how can a doctor help anybody if, if everybody just needs to be affirmed in whatever they believe? You know, like what if somebody who is told, oh, you have cancer and you're going to die. And they're like, no, I don't have cancer. I'm not going to die. And the doctor's like, okay, we'll affirm that. <laughs> Well, and this was a point that Jordan Peterson made. If you watch the What is a Woman documentary by Matt Walsh, they interviewed Jordan Peterson near the end of that. And he makes the point, he's like, there's no such thing as affirmation care. Mm -hmm. You know, and the idea being if someone comes in and says, you know, I'm a man, but I feel like a woman. And you go, well, we're going to affirm you in that. Well, that's not psychological help. Because you wouldn't go in if someone goes, oh, I just am filled with rage and I want to just take it out by you know, ripping somebody's arms off and you go, okay, well, yeah, well, let's sit down and figure out how you can rip someone's arms off. What if you claim, um, I'm going to die if I don't do what I feel like doing? Well, your job as a doctor is to make sure, you know, their mental health is secure. You got to help them do what they feel like doing or they're going to explode. They're going to, you know, Whatever, yeah. whatever makes them happy, gives them joy. You yeah, and that's the job it? of the mental health profession, right? Is to like get you back into this semblance of truth and mm-hmm. reality and functioning in that and dealing with the stressors and the difficulties in a real and substantial way. It's not to just go, oh, you feel like that? Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about how you feel that way and I'll make you feel good about how you feel. <laughs> so Jordan Peterson makes that point very clear and I think it's a great point. And look, this doesn't mean, you know, that me and Nikki here would say um, that people can't make the decision to transition as adults. You're an adult, do what you want, right? But that doesn't mean also that we should just have every media outlet, every social media platform, every politician, the entire entertainment industry, all of our, you know, educational institutions, just pump LGBTQ propaganda 24 hours a day just so we can appease the mentally unstable minority. That doesn't make, that's not reality. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Um, that's the death of a society. 
as we're seeing, we're circling the drain here. Um, and that's what it is, right? So we have to deal in reality. And I just went to um, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, um, listening to Jesus. So do you want to read that, honey? John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You know, he doesn't yep. say, make people feel good. Where do you find the truth? He says it's in his word. You have to abide in his word. Right. God's yeah. word is truth. You see it on the board behind us. Every word of God proves true. You know, he doesn't just go, hey, make them feel good in their sin, and they'll be set free. Right? No, he says, tell them the truth, right? The truth is what's going to set them free. Um, and then the last thing that she mentioned there that I want to highlight she says that trans women of color are being murdered at an alarming rate. And, you know, because our society is so, you know, kind of indoctrinated to just hear that dog whistle of racism, oppression. So we just take it and believe it, you know, because um, many will just hear that and go, oh, it's true, right? What a big problem that we need to address. I mean, our president basically took that and went, yeah, it sounds like something we should address. Um, and we've talked about this a lot of times on this show, but it's worth repeating over and over again. When it comes to the Democrat Party, which in its modern iteration is largely a satanic party, um, we would say so much of what they stand for is anti-Christ. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to the Democrat Party, the news media, um, and we can add really to that list, the Dylan Mulvaney's, the mentally unstable people, whenever they're telling you something, you have to just assume it's a lie or at least a misunderstood anything, mm -hmm. right? And then you need to take whatever they told you and go away and do your own homework. Um, you can't yeah. just take what they say and go, wow, I can't believe that's true because you'll be proven <laughs> to be a fool if that's what you do. Um, and now this sort of information, you know, black or colored trans violence and stuff is a difficult thing to really um, do some digging on if you're not like a trained journalist that really knows how to get to these numbers. So I tried to find some information on this as best I could as just a layman, you know, searching around on the internet. So what I did find um, this article here, do you want to read that paragraph, honey? Known transgender killings increased 93% in that four-year period from 29 in 2017 to 56 in 2021, and 73% of those people were killed with a firearm, according to an Every Town for Gun Safety report released Tuesday, analyzing the effects of gun violence on LGBTQ communities. Yeah, so a 93% increase since 2017. And again, keep in perspective, not that these 56 lives weren't valuable, and it's a shame that they're gone, but it's 56, you know, so it's not the Civil War and 600,000 are dead. Um, so it's a, a steep increase, but the numbers are still low, thankfully. But nowhere in that article does it point out who is killing these trans people. 
you know, where they're being killed. All it really does is give sort of the normal progressive talking points. You know, they say hate's on the rise, but they don't say where, they don't say mm-hmm. how. Right. It doesn't say anything about it. It just hates on the rise, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried to put some more information together um, just through my scattered brained way of processing information. And I tried to piece it together in a way that I think at least gives an explanation. I'm sure it can be shot down a thousand different ways, um, but mm-hmm. this is going to be my definition of it. I know when I was reading through the article, that's what I came, uh, I noticed that as well, that there's no news stories brought up of gun crime uh, to give as an example um, when they're bringing up these statistics. Yeah, there's the number went up, but why? Um, it's like they just want people to read this and think that people are just walking up to trans women and shooting them for being trans. And the black trans woman is a man. And I'm just thinking, isn't gun violence highest among black men already? Anyways, so as there becomes more black trans women, then of course the gun violence and homicide rates are going to rise in that area as well. That makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense to me too. And, uh, and yeah, and this is a way that they do stats with all gun violence. You know, I think one of the stats there was a couple years ago, or maybe it was last year, it was like 33,000, you know, like gun related deaths. I mean, that's a huge number. But I think when they actually broke it down, it was like, well over half of all those numbers were like suicides. And you're like, okay, well, that's not really a gun violence death. Like that's just a suicide. So you take, you know, so they do have ways of finagling the numbers. But um, what I tried to piece together here, so from the CDC, they said, you know, there was 24,000, oh, let me pull that up here, 24,576 homicides, I think last year is when this was, um, for whatever year I found this. I mean, it's- 2018. Yeah, maybe this was 2018. So again, these aren't the most accurate numbers. I'm just trying to piece together why we would see this transgender thing, um, the colored transgender spike. So 27,000, you know, homicides. You go to um, shelter homes, I think this this website, shelter house, and they make a statement in here that 16,800 homicides um, in the year were due to intimate partner violence. So, you know, couples, basically domestic violence led to 16,800 homicides. And 16, um, well, let's pull up one more here. This stat said um, one in four women, or let's just, yeah, not that one. So for trans or gender nonconforming folks, 54% will experience domestic violence. So over half of gender um, non-conforming or trans will experience domestic violence. So just the way that I pieced it together, 16,800, you know, intimate partner violence cases out of roughly, again, this is a couple um, years old, out of 24,500 cases, 
is roughly 68% of all the cases of homicide were intimate partner domestic mm -hmm. violence cases. So if 68% of homicides are domestic violence and 54% of trans folks or couples mm -hmm. experience domestic violence, and the number of trans people, and again, we would say due in large part to social contagion in this nation, if that number is dramatically increasing, then it would make sense that at least a major reason why we're seeing more of these um, colored, transgendered um, homicides in this community is because more trans people are killing each other, right? Nikki already mentioned that black males, I think, have the most gun violence. I don't know that for certain, but I would assume that's either close to accurate and black males are becoming trans women. Well, we just talked about those communities. Those communities, is right. That's where I was getting the idea from anyway, so I don't know. So I'm just, yeah, making the correlation that as you get more trans couples together, over half of them have domestic violence, all, you know, 70% of homicides are domestic violence, then it would make sense that maybe at least a large part of that increase is couples committing acts of violence on each other. I'd say so. Just a theory. I don't know if, uh, to be true at all. That's just the way my mind well, was piecing it together. Well, they just want you to think it's all hate crimes. Right. What they want you to believe true. is what Nikki said, that people are just walking up to trans women on the street and shooting them. Right. Which is not the case, um, yeah. I would assume. Again, hard to find the information, but... Yeah, that's what they want you to believe, right? Which, again, is why we need to assume it's a lie and try to come up with the truth, which is hard to find for just normal folk. Well, people get offended by where, what I'm thinking it probably is. But that right. makes more sense. It's more likely than just random hate crimes. <laughs> right. And I mean, obviously, we don't want anyone to suffer hate crimes. And we certainly pray that they wouldn't. No one would be murdered, even trans folks. But, you know, it doesn't, again, do us any good right. to live in a make-believe world where we think that there's just people walking down the street shooting trans people. Well, they the want back. you to think they want them to be fearful and they want others. They just want everybody riled up. Well, and they yeah. want the sympathy of the oppression and the danger, mm -hmm. right? Because this is how you get the ear of the president. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this stuff is depraved. You know, I think our political leaders are really giving license to this sort of depravity. Um, again, you're sitting with six activists in the White House. Mm -hmm. So you're giving license to this. And I think for us as believers that stand on the truth, we need to reject it. We need to be um, resolute in standing for the truth. Because again, kids today are looking and are open to the truth. We need to present it to them because this is what the world's feeding them. They're feeding them the Dylan Mulvaney sitting with the President Bidens talking about trans issues. That's what they're getting. They have to get the alternative because um, ours will stand the test of time. Theirs won't. It'll fall apart. So, again, we need to make sure that these kids are hearing the truth. And look, it's not going to be easy. I think that's the thing you need to come to understand. You know, the road is going to be a straight uphill climb. Um, not only because our media, our political structures are almost all given over to the spirit of the age, but then like Nikki talked about earlier, and as we're about to get into, so many of our Christian institutions seem to be sliding away from the truth as well. Um, so, you know, this is why we say you need to get in your schools, right? 
if you got a solid grasp, you need to get in the schools and start teaching these kids so they, at least in the back of their mind, they can be like, you know, I heard stuff before that doesn't line up with what you're telling me. Maybe I should go look more into that. What's this thing called the Bible that I've heard talking about? It's the Bible. Go read it, right? So um, do you have any last thoughts on that story before we roll into looking at the feckless church in America? No, let's move on. All right. So everybody's favorite uh, seeker-sensitive church was in the news this week. You want to read that headline? Saddleback Church leader's wife, Stacy Wood, serving as teaching pastor, despite SBC doctrine. Yep. And Saddleback Church identifies the wife of its new lead pastor as a teaching pastor, even though the influential megachurch's denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, restricts the office of pastor to men in its official statement of beliefs. Yeah, and it's important to remember that this is Rick Warren's hand-picked and very well-vetted replacement. He was very well aware of who was coming to replace him at Saddleback Church. So that's just, don't let Rick Warren off the hook here. But do you want to keep reading this? Let's see this paragraph. In an interview with the Associated Press published on Monday, Andy Wood said he wanted Saddleback to empower men and women to lead and said the Bible teaches that men and women were given spiritual gifts by God. Yeah. Andy yeah. Wood has a better plan for the church than even God does. When right? I hear people say empower, I just run. Yeah, just empowerment, run. inclusion. Yeah. Yeah, Andy Wood knows how to grow the church better than even God does. Um, and that's always great to hear your pastor say, let me tell you how God should have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that makes you feel good. Um, just this last paragraph here. All right. The church should be a place where both men and women can exercise those spiritual gifts, he told the AP. My wife has the spiritual gift of teaching. She's really good. People often tell me she's better than me when it comes to preaching. And I'm really glad to hear that. You can have a teaching gift, but you teach, women are told to teach other women. Yes. That's fine. You can have a teaching gift. That doesn't mean you become a pastor. No. And listen, we've never heard either one of these two preach. Um, But I would believe that what Andy Wood (laughs) says is true that his wife might be a better preacher than him. But that's not the issue, obviously, right? The issue is what does the Bible teach? Um, And the Bible teaches that men are to be pastors. Men are to be elders and deacons. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, In addition to that, it's what the Southern Baptist Convention teaches. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and Rick Warren, Andy Wood... And I think even really all the members of Saddleback, because they don't get to get off the hook either. I think it's unfair to say that this is just somehow Rick Warren and Andy Wood are doing wrong. They got 40,000 people sitting in there. This isn't the 1300 with John Wycliffe where nobody has a Bible. Everyone in that church has a Bible and can open it up, you know, to Titus and read for themselves, right? They all have the opportunity. So they're willingly sitting there and accepting you know, uh, anti-biblical structure in their church. Well, do you just assume that's the, if the people are in that church already, I don't think they're the kind of people who are going to 
even know. No, but again, they're not absolved of the blame of this. That's what I'm trying to get at. And I don't think they should be, you know, excluded from what I would call is sort of the real and possibly lasting damage that this is causing to the Southern Baptist Convention. Because Saddleback, I'm almost certain, is the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and they're in really complete opposition. Uh, to first and foremost, they're in opposition to Scripture, but secondly, to the denomination that they've aligned with for all these years. Well, I just have a question, because I don't know everything like the Southern Baptist Convention. Is there a reason that they would want to hold on to Saddleback? Is there oh, I'm sure does it benefit them? I'm sure it benefits them greatly. It's the biggest church in their organization. It probably brings in a lot of money to the convention. Okay. So maybe Um, it's just a money thing. Well, I don't know that for sure, right? But there's a reason. And I mean, it's like with anything, right? Whoever's your biggest, most influential, you know, wealthiest, whatever. I think they're going to strong arm them to change. Well, they did already, in a sense. I believe during the convention, they sort of sidelined a vote on... Rather not, I think, to kick Saddleback, they yeah. sidelined that vote. And it was basically because Rick Warren didn't want him to vote. And hmm. he was Rick Warren, right? So um, do you yeah. want to read this last? We got a little bit more we wanted to read just to um, go through here. Or just one more. Or no, maybe there's one or two more. This paragraph right here. Uh, where is it? Yeah, right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some was that Andy Wood said that I'm not looking to engage in denominational battles, Wood said. I'd really like to be a unifier of people to help love and support pastors in the SBC. I was thinking like, he's trying to chalk it up to just a denominational issue. Like his main concern is, is unity. And I don't know, I hear stuff like that and or the empowerment stuff. I just think it's Joel Osteen. <laughs> yep. I know he's the one. He's the big unifier. Just love and you just tell people how great they are. I just feel like he's one of those. I know he's trying to unify people, but over what? And I'm just like, it's not scripture. That's for sure. Because he's thinking it's just a denominational issue. And um yeah. and then yeah, and then um Warren, he says, as Western culture grows more dark, more evil, and more secular, we have to decide, are we going to treat each other as allies or adversaries? Um, Are we going to keep bickering over secondary issues, or are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? And I think, yeah, he definitely picked Andy. He handpicked him for a reason. He sounds just like him, and these are not this isn't a secondary issue. Um, it's not like it's a salvation issue, but this, that's a pretty big deal there. And he knows he's going against the Southern Baptist Convention. And yeah, there's a reason he handpicked him for sure. So No, for sure. Like, again, because you're the pastor of a church. You're like, oh, are we going to bicker over secondary? Well, you can fix it. You can fix it right now. Right, right. This isn't just, you know two members sitting in the back row arguing over it and be like, oh, let's not divide over this. 
Well, Rick Warren and Andy Wood have the ability to adhere to scripture and they're choosing not to. And then going, ah, secondary issue. Yeah. No, you willingly chose the, all, the you know, anti-biblical stance. Yeah. So very bizarre, very bizarre. Um, and then let me see. Where was that paragraph that I had in here? Oh, right here. Mm -hmm. So it goes on in here and it says, in a May 2021, or in May 2021, Saddleback drew scrutiny from some within the SBC when the church ordained three women, Liz Poehler, Cynthia Petty, and Katie Edwards. The ordinations come even though the Southern, or even though the Baptist faith and message of 2000, the convention's official statement of beliefs, says that the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So again, we've already talked about Rick Warren, Andy Wood, and the members of that church, but let's be clear, these three women are out of step with apostolic teaching as well. You know, Liz Puffer, Cynthia Petty, and Katie Edwards. They should know better. And I guess mm -hmm. that my guess would be they do know better. Uh, my guess is they would be aware of what it says and the conflict that they have with it. Um, so they should not be so dismissive of biblical teaching. Because here's the problem. How do you teach members to adhere to scripture when the pastors don't adhere to scripture? Yeah. Who's holding them accountable? You know, well, you know, I, I've noticed, Bob, you haven't been tithing lately. Yeah, Rick, you have a woman preaching with the title pastor. I'll, I'll see you next week, Bob. Like, you can't hold people accountable when you're blatantly disregarding scripture yourself. So it's dangerous. Um, and then yeah. it says here, or do you want to read these two paragraphs, honey? Okay. Many Southern Baptist leaders, among them Southern Baptist Theological Seminary President Albert Moeller, argued that the ordination went against the Bible and SBC rules. The theological issues have not changed since 2000 when Southern Baptists spoke clearly and precisely in the Baptist faith and message. More importantly, the Holy Scriptures have not changed and cannot change, wrote Moeller last year. Yep. And then it says down here a little bit further, committee chair Linda Cooper said at the annual meeting that they were not yet prepared to make a recommendation on Saddleback, recognizing that recognizing there are differing opinions regarding the intent of the office or regarding the intent of the office of pastor as stated in the Baptist faith and message 2000. There's different opinions. Hmm. And I've made this point before and I'll uh, make it again here, even though I run the risk of being considered a male chauvinist pig, which I'm fine with. Um, are there no men left to lead? Because does every position of authority have to be filled by a woman in today's world? Does the church still not see male headship as essential? You know, why would Saddleback sort of be um, not really held to account for this violation of a scriptural mandate? Well, because the Southern Baptist Convention committee chair is run by women. Mm. So they're like, yeah, we're down with that too, right? Um, and it just seems like every one of these statements that you read from 
whether it's the church, from the business world, sports, they all seem to come from women. And I'll just make another point. Um, and I get that this is a broad generalization, so there's certainly not going to be the case in every instance. But female leadership is ruining our country and it's ruining our world. You know, we're in a place governed by, I would say, a toxic feminist culture, which because it's toxic, because it sort of bends towards what the SBC committee is doing here. It's like this open passivity. Well, we're going to discuss whether or not, you know, they're doing something um, you know, who really knows? Well, you know, we'll get together in a committee and we'll kind of talk about it. Like, it's just this open passivity. And I think a lot of times what you see is sort of a private backstabbing. Um, I think that that's not uncommon to see. Mm-hmm. And then they go or she goes on in here and she says, we feel it very important for you to know um, that it is the unanimous <laughs> listen to this statement. We feel it's very important for you to know that it is the unanimous opinion of the credentials committee that the majority of Southern Baptists hold to the belief (laughs) that the function of lead pastor, elder, bishop, or overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture, she said. Like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. We feel very confident and we're of like mind. Eh, most people should follow the rules, but not everyone. And then if you don't, well, we'll just go to a committee and we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll send you an email. We'll call you in for another, like, it's just weakness personified. Um, Again, it's just like open passivity. And it's nothing against women per se. Again, this is a broad generalization. I just don't believe that they're built for leadership the way God designed men to be. I think leaders need to be aggressive. They need to be confrontational when that's needed. They need to be blunt when they deliver these messages. Not, you know, unloving, not mean and hateful, but like you've got to be aggressive about it to snuff this stuff out. You have to be confident enough to go directly to the person and say it, you know, without equivocating and well you know most people we feel confident should but then if they don't i mean maybe uh, who knows what scripture says and the baptist faith and message is a little bit unclear i mean you can't just be that wishy-washy and i think men are much better designed for that not all men right but i think that that's a male trait largely and i think it's because god designed it to be that way and i just don't think it's the trait that very many women around the world have They certainly, there are some that have that trait for sure, but it just seems like the whole world is just tripping over themselves to put women in charge and they just really aren't meant for it. And now the church is just following suit. And I think we of all places should know better. God tells us the way to run it. He doesn't tell us why necessarily. He doesn't go put men in charge because women are, you know, it's not the Ron Burgundy. You know, your brain's three quarters of the size of my, he's not, that's not what God's saying. He's saying, I made man first. He's in charge. He's the leader. Mm -hmm. That's why, because God said it, right? What happened when Adam heeded the voice of his wife? What happened? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just so frustrating, you know, but, and again, 
thinking back to the first story that we talked about, right? These kids that are openly seeking the truth, what are they stepping into? Are they walking into a Saddleback yeah. church? Yeah, right, right. And they're going to be like, well, well, I'm reading this here, but it doesn't look like you're doing that. Well, listen, let's not argue about all these silly biblical truths. We just like to get along here. Yeah, that's not bringing anybody in. We've seen the way that that's worked out in American church. What's the name of that church down the road? (laughs) Unity. Yeah. That's the name of this church down the road and on their flash and sign. LGBTQ blah, 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 blah are welcome here. And that's all they have on their sign. Is that the unity? Like, what do they mean by unity? The wider we try to cast our net to bring all these people in, the less they want to be there because there's nothing different. There's no truth there. It looks just like a less cool version of the sinful world. Yeah. Right. So yeah, they might be there for a time, but they're, they're not going to be, you know, their lives aren't going to be changed there. But listen, if you're feeling called out, you know, in regards to the weakness of the SBC, you know, saddleback sort of dismissal of biblical doctrine, don't you worry, because they're not alone. They've got partners with them. Do you want to read this headline, honey? PC USA to add non-binary genderqueer category to official church statistics. Yeah, got to make sure we got those statistics right. Um, do you want to read these three the, paragraphs? Okay. The Presbyterian Church USA said it will be adding a non-binary genderqueer category to its annual reports. The PCUSA's Office of the General Assembly announced Tuesday that it was making a host of changes to how it reports denominational statistics on membership in the number of congregants, congregations. Starting with next year's statistics, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States will add a nine non-binary gender queer category alongside the traditional men and women categories. Then it goes on, says Chris... Valerius, manager of denominational roles and statistics, said, if they want to be inclusive, there's that word, then we have to start asking because you should be aware of who's a part of your church. We'll have the same categories. We're just not defining them any longer, which may upset people. The information will be there. We're just removing the definitions. She said, or she added. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And then I can find the other one I was going to. Yeah, right here. Uh Uh-huh. Statistics paint the picture of who we are as a denomination. It's not just statistics. It's ministers, churches. It is who we are at this particular time, Valeria said. I just thought, at this particular time. So they are fluid. They just change with the times. They, They follow culture. So it will be changing a lot. Yeah, they're spiritually fluid. They've been to the ebbs and flows of culture. Um, Yeah, so terrible. But I do think, is it any coincidence? The manager is a female. (laughs) Didn't we just talk about this with the SBC, right? Our church denominations are being overrun with female leadership, and we're becoming less adherent to scripture. And I think this is just a slippery slope. You know, we remove male headship, replace them with women, and the slide begins. And look, the Presbyterian Church USA, you know, they've been 
I think you could probably say heretical for some time now. So this isn't exactly shocking. Um, but it is worth mentioning. Well, I think it's worth mentioning that there are two different branches, I think, inside the Presbyterian Church USA. I could be wrong. We're not members. But I think that there's a liberal branch, which is what this branch obviously would be. Um, but there's also, I think, a more conservative, biblically adherent Presbyterian church. You know, we take our kids to a Presbyterian church that I think is part of the PCUSA. I could be mistaken because, again, we're not members, but they go there for their catechisms. Um, so just to make clear that I don't think this is completely broad brushing all Presbyterian churches, but you can definitely see the largest Presbyterian denomination. They're just like, hey, well, we got a whole bunch of non-binary, gender, fluid, you know, he, she's in here. And we want to make sure we know about it. We want our roles to reflect. So when the government comes cracking down on us for our mm -hmm. hate speech, we can show them, no, 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 we're very inclusive. Um, yeah, but if people aren't, identifying as that then they're going to get in trouble for you know not being more welcoming to the those kinds of people i wonder if in the p well and if you go back to this picture if you guys are watching on the video or just go check the article out <laughs> you can see this gigantic headquarters for the pc usa with two big old black lives matter flags um posted high in uh social justice high church and high and proud so everyone can see it so um but just, again, looking at these stories in light of the first story that we talked about, you know, because, again, kids are looking for the truth and they want to know more about Jesus and the Christian faith. But what happens when they go looking? Because yep. if they stumble into one of these PCUSA churches that are just given over to progressivism or some seeker sensitive, you know, saddleback type church that's just as given over to this progressive culture, then they really aren't that much better off than before they went in. And I just read a quote about yeah. this last night that I thought was perfect for this episode, maybe divine providence. Um, but this quote from Steve Lawson from this um, short little work that he has, or this book that he has called The Type of Preaching God Blesses. And the quote in there, he said, he kind of gives this long story where this uh, pastor's asked, you know, what's sort of the most diabolical scheme that Satan can um, you know, put on society. And he gives this long story about what this scheme is. And the very end of it, um, Lawson sort of sums it up. He says, the most diabolical scheme of Satan would to be have the churches overflowing with people, but no proclamation of Christ and him crucified. And I thought, boy, are these two stories highlighting that perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sure, get all the the people in the door, they feel great because they go to the celebrity pastor's church. You know, they got all the cool amenities, 40,000 people. It's a rock concert. I feel awesome to be here, but you don't hear what you need to hear. The life-changing message of the gospel. And, you know, you got the PC USA and they're so desperate to stay relevant that their nets cast so wide that they're just dragging sinners in and making them feel like members. And you're not hearing Christ crucified. So the scheme of Satan seems to be taking root in many respects. And uh, I think that's certainly a case that we're seeing in a lot of churches. And mm -hmm. um, 
do you have any thoughts on those stories before we get to this last little news topic before we roll into our Bible? I want to see the last news topic. All right. I held this last. It's not little either. It's about eight minutes long, but it's a video clip I want to play for you guys. But um, Are you playing eight minutes? I am. I think we should listen to oh. all of it. So, uh, But I just wanted to make that case that people are looking, right? They're searching for the truth. They want to know about Jesus. And unless we're willing to call out the fakes and we're willing to call out the artificial and start pointing them to the true, um, then they're really no better off than when they were searching in the first place. Maybe even worse off um, because then they just have a bad taste in their mouth about this Jesus and this, you know, sort of. People like us get a bad rap, you know. You can't call out false teachers, false churches, or judge them. Oh, but they can judge us for judging. <laughs> yeah. They're judging us for splitting hairs on secondary issues. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, this last bit. Um, and I just wanted to play this because, you know, we only do our episode once a week, really. And we can't make it nine hours long to cover all the depravity that's going on in this country. Um, and first off, who can deal with that much? Um, but I wanted to play this because just to highlight the point that we are in a spiritual war, um, and we've got to be aware of that. And that should be sort of governing the way that we carry ourselves, both spiritually and our families. This is why we're so intent on getting your kids home, getting them with you, training them, right? If you were at, this was World War II and you're in London being bombed by the Germans, you wouldn't be like, Oh, here, little Bobby, you know, run down to the corner market and buy me some bread while bombs are falling, right? You'd be hunkered down in your basement, saving their lives, right? But we're in a spiritual war of the same magnitude, I think. And that's why I want to play this. It's lengthy, but I think it's good. And it comes from a podcast that I listened to. And what he did is he was just like, I'm just going to read to you headlines from my Twitter feed from the last week. This is just one week you know, going back, whatever, the 22nd of October, I'm just going to read the, the Twitter feed. So this is just one dude, not a big, you know, not some big time podcaster, not Joe Rogan on his Twitter feed of the sort of depravity that we're dealing with in our world. So you guys will bear with us to listen to this. Nikki has not heard it. So this will be fun to hear what she has to say. All right, here we go. Moment transgender singer strips naked live on Channel 4 and plays the keyboard with her penis. Let's keep them rolling. Record 2.4 million immigrants illegally crossed border in fiscal year 2022, almost 4 million total under Biden. That's an invasion. Stacey Abrams, having children is why you're worried about your price of gas. How much food costs? Kill your kid to save yourself money. It's day 222 of being a girl. I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to the White House to speak to the President of the United States. Correlation between booster and excess mortality in Europe. Like, direct correlation, you can see on the graph. Trans activist Dylan Mulvaney will be one of six speakers at the Presidential Forum this weekend. Six, 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 six speakers to sit down with president biden to address trans rights why six couldn't have gone with five couldn't have gone with 12 why do you think they chose six do you think todd what an odd number to choose right six 
who doesn't go who doesn't go in a situation and say you know six would be the perfect number am i, am I being churchy or judgy if i take a gander at that just just seems like an odd coinky dink anyway let's continue on here breaking protesters become triggered as matt walsh takes the stage at his event the rally to end child mutilation here in nashville tennessee at the state capitol who thought they would live to see the day that in tennessee they need to have a rally to end <laughs> child mutilation right right a uh, progressive white woman says the Muslim Americans in Dearborn are like Hitler because they don't want to have a how-to guide to, quote, handies, quote, blowies, and, quote, sex apps in the school library. Health officials begin offloading stocks at truly unprecedented rates in January 2020, well before the COVID-19 emergency was declared, with HHS officials selling 60% more stock in January 2020 than the previous 12 months. What a just, man, those guys just have... Get your stock tips from employees at the Department of Health and Human Services. They clearly have a knack for knowing when to buy low and sell high, right? So that's just another random transaction and occurrence. Uh, preprint endonucleus fingerprint indicates a synthetic origin of SARS-CoV-2. So that's kind of cool. Um, Breaking, Biden Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has announced the Department of Defense will pay for all members of the military to travel to kill babies in abortions. So there's that. Uh, Today, the CDC's Vaccine Advisory Committee unanimously voted to include the COVID-19 vaccine in the childhood vaccine schedule. This will effectively protect Pfizer and Moderna from any liability for their poisonous jabs. This is going great so far. His organs were all healthy, his heart, absolutely nothing wrong with him, and yet talented high school senior collapses and dies on stage while performing at an all-state event nevertheless. I mean, we've gotten how many stories this kid's just randomly dropping dead in choir and show choir events all our lives, right? That's why you and I, we played football instead. Choir was so dangerous. Yes. We just saw the kids just dropping dead like right I, in the middle of our town. I wasn't going to play roulette like that. Yeah, exactly. Take my chances with a concussion, baby. You bet. Uh, Biden cites God in predicting defeat of pro-lifers. We're going to see what happens all over America. God willing. So that was nice. One in 500 children under five years who received the Pfizer mRNA COVID vaccine hospitalized with a vaccine injury. One in 200 had symptoms ongoing for weeks or months afterwards. A study in the Journal for the American Medical Association finds. The plan for the next pandemic from the Biden administration, according to Bloomberg, number one, minimum 130-day lockdown to start the pandemic. Number two, no reasonable randomized trial or safety testing before deploying a novel vaccine at scale. Number three, support of -of gain-of-function work for EVs. Sounds safe and wholesome. Where are all the dads while their daughters get clubbed like this? Here's a high school girl getting her face rearranged in a volleyball match because the guy pretending to be a girl spiked the ball right in her grill. So we saw that a lot when we were growing up too, right? Just dudes just hopping out of the stands and spiking the chicks in the face with the volleyball. Just the price of doing business. That's why there was always an ambulance stationed outside of all the girls' volleyball matches. It happened constantly. Happy International Pro Down Day to you, whether you are Z-Zem, She-Her, Day-Dem, He-Him, They-Them, Fay-Fair. No, that is not a Kanye West rant. That is actually a tweet from the LGBTQFU Foundation. It's my duty as a cardiologist. Did we decide what this gentleman's name was? No. Okay. Uh, his, this guy. Uh, it's my duty as a cardiologist to urgently inform you, every doctor, patient, and member of the public, that the mRNA product is a likely contributory factor in all 
unexpected cardiac arrest, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failures since 2021 until proven otherwise. This event in an Oregon bar, open to people of all ages, child drag queens performing over the weekend. A child starring in a controversial drag queen event in Eugene, Oregon, is revealed to have been mentored by a local drag queen star who was recently arrested on child sex abuse offenses. And Antifa is organizing security for the event. So there you have Isengard and Mordor combining together as the two towers. Gender-affirming mastectomies for children soared 389% from 2016 to 2019. That's the doctor of island, uh, the doctor of, uh, of the island of Dr. Moreau, I should say there. So that's cool. Here's a video of a group of adult men leading little girls in sexually charged twerking at a festival in Austin, Texas. And because we uh, don't want to go to hell, we won't show it to you. Um, so, but just that's what that video is. Karine, or Karen, I should say, Jean-Pierre, uh, says that if there are enough votes in Congress, the first piece of legislation Biden will send to the Hill next year, the number one priority, number one, making Roe the killing of babies the law of the land. That's their number one priority. Kill them all. Kill them all. Pfizer's CEO, the horse doctor himself, Albert Borland, claiming the efficacy of a vaccine in children is 80%, as in preventing infections. It doesn't prevent infections for anybody, and it never, it never did. I attended another all-ages drag bunch, another, 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 another all-ages drag bunch in Plano, Texas over the weekend. Our colleague Sarah Gonzalez shot the footage that includes, my hoo-ha is good, my hoo-ha is sweet, good enough to eat. Blank me all night. There you can see a nice little girl sitting right there in the front row taking all that in. So that's totes cool, right? This doesn't seem demonic or satanic, this litany of things I tweeted were in my Twitter feed last week at all. Endless gray areas, Steve. Indeed. Contrary to his last media tour, Dr. Fauci was, in fact, the point person on shutting down schools in America. This is Tom Elliott at Grabian who just collects clips in the media. And this is an entire thread of him showing, sharing clips of Anthony Fauci advocating for the continued shutdowns of schools in 2020 and 2021. That's what that thread is there. A few more. U.S. researchers at Boston University have developed a new lethal COVID mutant strain in a laboratory echoing the type of experience, experiments many feared started the pandemic. Why not? The Netherlands starts serving mealworms in schools as a, quote, sustainable meat substitute to meet World Economic Forum's 2030 objectives. That looks just positively scrumptious. Here's the last thing. A Quebec doctor has suggested that infants with, quote, severe deformations and, quote, very grave and severe medical syndromes should be eligible for assisted death. All right, honey. So for your first time watching that and listening to it, how did that make you feel? I don't know. It's a lot to a lot to take in and ponder. I mean, just one of those alone, especially the the drag queen ones, are are enough. You know, that's probably just I don't know the most disgusting, disturbing. It certainly is disgusting and disturbing. <sighs> but we're at war. We're at war. Um, they hate us. They hate our way of life. They hate our God. They hate children, especially. You can. Well, they hate. They children. hate children. They want them killed or corrupted. That's it. Yeah, they hate children. I think that's evident, and it's just important to know. Mm -hmm. We don't say that to make you guys have a bad day, but you know, I think so often we don't see the forest through the trees. You know, we might hear a story or we focus on 
you know, because who can take it all in? But I think it's important to see sort of this broad overview. And again, this is just one week. If you went back to what we've experienced the last year, the last two years, I mean, that video clip could probably go for eight hours of just endless headlines of depravity. And not that that couldn't be the case throughout all of human history, but we have, again, at least the war on children, the war on truth, the war on reality seems to have been ramped up to some astronomical level. So we just have to be aware of it. Um, You know, you can't go blindly out and just think that this is life as it has always been. You know, this isn't 19... you know, 70s going down to buy a Coke at the corner store. You know, this is a it's a whole new world. So do you have any last thoughts on what we've talked about today, the stories we've discussed or anything before we move into our Bible topic? I think the Bible topic is the answer to all this. It's always the answer. And that's why we like to end this way and on a good note, (laughs) um, talking about scripture. And um, for our Bible topic this week, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we're beginning sort of a 10-part look at the assurances of salvation. It may be 10 weeks if something else pops up. Um, You know, I'm sure we'll have maybe a Thanksgiving, Christmas, something to that effect in there somewhere. We'll see what happens. But we're going to look at all 10 um, assurances you know, just highlight them. They're not going to be super lengthy commentaries on it, but just so that you can understand what God tells us um, is an assurance of our salvation. Yeah. So point number one here, assurance number one, and these all come from the book of First John. That's um, the book in the Bible, really, that God has given us to tell us how we can know um, that we're saved, that we're walking um, Mm. in salvation. And by God's grace, he didn't just leave it up to us. He gave us an entire book and also many other places throughout scripture that you can, um, you can go to, to find this truth. So point number one is first John chapter one, verse seven. Do you want to read that verse, honey? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yep. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And, you know, just thinking on that, you know, darkness is sin. Light is truth. Yeah. And we've talked about God is truth. God's word is truth. You know, so walking in the light is walking according to God's word. And again, this is the great commission that we've talked about many times here, you know, It's the often forgotten or often um, not mentioned part of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. You know, we always know to go into all nations and make disciples. um, But Matthew 28, 20 tells us that we're to be teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We are to observe all that he's commanded us, walking in the light of God's truth. Yeah, a lot of these churches are just so focused on numbers, just getting people to recite a prayer, and that prayer is proof that they're saved when that is an assurance of salvation. You won't find that in Scripture that you said a prayer because there's so much doing of His Word and um, 
I did not write down where I got this other verse. It was Second Corinthians. Um, that's all I know. Uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. So come out and be separate. So when a believer is not coming out and living separate, we are also to not have fellowship with the believer for a time until they come to their senses and return to the flock. So this thing is about, it's about fellowship. When we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. So we can't have fellowship with really an unbeliever or a believer who's, both of them are walking in darkness. Believer or unbeliever, you know, it just, you look at the fruit, they're acting like an unbeliever, you don't have fellowship with them. But you want them to come back, of course, just cut them off. But it's about the fellowship, you have fellowship with one another, and with God. Right, because the danger is if you're walking in the darkness with them, Mm -hmm. you're going to be led into the darkness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, if you're walking according to the light of God's word and God's truth, you don't want to be in the darkness, you know. And you're going to naturally be led away from the darkness. So again, this is why it's an assurance, right? How do I know if I'm living according to this salvation? Mm -hmm. I think I believe, am I walking in the light? Am I actively avoiding the darkness? Do I hate Mm -hmm. the darkness? Am I striving to not be near the darkness? Mm -hmm. And John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus tells us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, you know, this idea of walking in the light is, again, to be walking according to God's commandments, walking according to Christ and his apostles' teachings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we view our lives, because this is us looking internal to ourselves, our assurance. And again, I mean, for us looking at other people as well and judging their tree or the fruit on their tree, right? But again, looking at our own lives, are we living as best as we can according to what Scripture teaches? Um, Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, so do we actually take time to consider what God's word commands us, you know, commands us to do? And then do we adjust our actions and our path accordingly? is what it's getting at, right? Are we walking according to his light? And then go, oh, I stepped into the darkness. Let me get back into mm-hmm. the light, you know? So let's just take a relevant topic. For example, um, maybe you're a female pastor and you open the Bible and you read 1 Timothy 3.2, which reads, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Do you look at that and go, well, I'm not a husband, I'm a wife. Hmm, maybe I should step down from my role as pastor because that's a role for men. Or do you go, 
eh, well, you know, it's outdated. It was written at a different time. Yeah, the culture was different. So I'll just ignore it. Because now you're walking in the darkness. You're not a walking according to the light of Scripture. I think that's sort of the examples that we have to look at. You know, again, whatever it is, is it drunkenness? Well, yeah, I get drunk every weekend, but it's just, I'm having fun with the boys, having a good time. We're just hanging out, just social drinking. God wants you happy. <laughs> right? But are you living according to the word? So, you know, are we just examining our lives, striving to live according to God's prescribed way of living? And again, it's hard, right? In many respects, it goes against our cultural norms because our culture is basically a pagan society today. Yeah. And, um, or do we just rationalize it, right? Maybe we'll go find a heretical pastor to tell us what we want to hear so we can just continue to live in sin. You know, or worse, have we just even stopped altogether looking to see what God wants us to do? Um, and now we just really do whatever we want, whatever we think. And then we just say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I said a prayer, like Nikki said, 10 years ago down at the altar. So I'm good. You know, I didn't kill anybody. You know, I'm generally a nice person. So I'm saved. That can't be our assurance, right? We have to be constantly examining ourselves, looking to the light of God's word, the truth of God's word, and examining ourselves. Am I walking according to God's commandments? And I think maybe even a step further than that, do I want to walk according to God's commandments? Mm -hmm. You know, this kind of goes back to the argument of, you know, if you don't want to live for God, if you don't love God and want to spend time with God here on this earth, what makes you think you want to spend eternity in heaven mm -hmm. living for him, serving him, and focused on him? Mm -hmm. Seems unlikely, right? I just think it's harder. I always go back to the Old Testament thinking about uh, the Israelites. Um, they knew God made a covenant with Abraham, and, and God told them to be separate from the surrounding uh, pagan cities. But, you know, they all, they all lived together. It seems like it would have been easier for them. They just had to stay away from the other cities. And us, we live right in it. And we're mixed right in. And I'm thinking, seems a little harder. You know, we got to do our day-to-day -day life. We work with people who hate God. And we're called to love our enemies, though. Um, it's hard. But, you know, the good thing is that we have God's Holy Spirit living right in us. And his word says he also will walk among us, he'll walk before us and to live in us. Uh, we have all that we need. So really, we can't say it's harder for us than it was for the Israelites. Because I want to think that at first. And I think, no, we have the grace of God. He is with us. He's in our midst. And he gives us a way out of every temptation. Um, maybe all the more. Maybe it's, it is easier for us. Well, and but also we need to to get over the idea of it not being hard, right? Jesus tells us the narrow road is hard, yeah, and there are few who find it. So just because we look at something, and go, well, that's really hard, so that can't be what God wants. No, <laughs> He never said that, right? And so often He gives us the hard road. The world will hate us. 
Yeah. So yeah, examine yourselves. We need to examine ourselves daily. That's why we have to be in God's word. That's why we have to be sitting under a sound biblical teacher. And we have to have godly men and women around us correcting us. And we have to be open to that correction. It's so hard with our pride and our ego to assume that like, well, I don't need to be fixed or lie to ourselves. Yeah, you know, I'm keeping those commandments. And thankfully, we serve a gracious God, a merciful God. So when we examine ourselves and we aren't doing that, we can call on him for forgiveness. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then we can get back in line, back on the narrow road. And um, that's got to be the, you know, the, I guess, the mode that we live our life in until we eventually go home to the Lord is examine the word and go, boy, I've gotten off the beaten path. Lord, forgive me. Get me back on the path. Then you look again and boy, I've gotten off the path. (laughs) Lord, right? It's a Mm -hmm. never ending battle. But I think the danger is when you get in the position where you look at it and go, yeah, I mean, I still think I'm doing all right on this wide road. And, you know, God probably loves me anyways. And that's really when the danger comes in. So um, do you have any last thoughts on this before we roll into our sermon recommendation for the week? Uh, Nope. Yep. So stick with us. We'll get to the other nine um, in the coming weeks, but um, you don't have to wait. You can go to the book of first John yourself and read through it and see what God has to say better than we could ever say it. Um, We also have them on our website. If you want to follow the links in the show notes under our Assurance of Salvation tab, you can go see those there. So our sermon for the week, and we'll be honest, we have not had a chance to listen to it yet because at the time of recording, and if you're watching this early in the morning, it hasn't been released yet. So we're (laughs) recommending this on a whim, just assuming it's going to be good. So our recommendation is an interview um, Glenn Beck is having with Vody Bacham. And the reason why we're interested in it is because it's Vody Bacham's being interviewed on the infiltration of woke politics in the church. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever anybody you want to hear explain <laughs> woke politics and woke culture in the church, it's probably Vody Bacham. And we don't mm-hmm. know what he's going to say. We're just assuming it's going to be really good. Because again, it's sure Vody it Bacham. Be. So yeah. if you're watching this early in the morning and you follow that link, the episode may not be out yet. So just give it some time and we recommend you go back and listen to it and um, see what Vody has to say. Um, he's very good and he's not one of those um, punch pollers. You know, he's going to tell it generally, um, very truthfully, which some people don't like, maybe harsh. But it's going to be, I would say, a loving tone. I don't think Vody is necessarily trying to hurt people's feelings, um, but he's not going to really pull back punches, which is why we are recommending him. So mm-hmm. recommend you guys give that a listen. And we will be back on Monday for Reformation Day. And then so that'll be our last day. If you've been watching the or listening, I'm sorry, to the daily devotionals. We've been going through the 95 Theses most of this month, and that'll obviously end on October 31st, which is Reformation Day. And then Tuesday and forward, we're going to get back into the Gospel of Luke and actually start looking at Scripture again like we used to. And we'll be doing that throughout the rest of the month of November. Um, 
and then other other than that we'll be back next saturday with assurance number two unless the world melts and we'll see what happens but that is all we got for you guys today god bless